I'm Linda Holmes from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. What has pointy ears, a cape, a huge ego, and knees that don't bend? That's right, Lego Batman. To get the skinny on his new movie and lots of other good stuff to watch and read, find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts. This podcast was recorded at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday. Things may change by the time you hear it. Keep up with all of NPR's political coverage at npr.org, on the NPR One app, and on your local public radio station. Okay, here's the show. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, here to talk about the nationwide halt to President Trump's immigration and refugee ban, and what happens now in the legal showdown over that executive order. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. Happy day after the Super Bowl, guys. Not in Georgia. (laughs) So uh, we are going to make this a football and politics metaphor-free podcast. I'll take the pledge. I think. We'll see. Um, So late last Friday, news broke that a federal judge in Seattle ruled to immediately halt implementation of President Donald Trump's executive order on immigration nationwide. This was a what's called a temporary restraining order. And it was in response to a lawsuit brought by the state of Washington and, and also Minnesota joined them. Uh, The judge who ruled in this case was James Robart, uh, appointed by George W. Bush, confirmed unanimously by the Senate 99 to zero. Ron, what was he ruling on and, and what did he say? What he did was he put a temporary restraining order, a TRO, on the implementation of the president's travel ban. And that, of course, only lasts until this judge, Robart, has a trial and goes to some of the other issues involved in terms of the constitutionality and everything else respecting this particular ban. Now, the the two states argued that they would be irreparably harmed because their universities were not getting some of the people that were supposed to be there back into the country, that their universities would be harmed by the ban, and also uh, because they felt their economies would be harmed. And that's been supported in friend of the court briefs from a number of tech industries. I believe 97 different tech companies have signed on uh, in the uh, proceedings since Friday. So uh, uh, this was an argument that we should not have the travel ban short term. We should not have the travel ban long term. But all the judge said was, all right, let's put it on ice for a few days at least while we consider whether or not uh, there will be irreparable harm if it goes forward while we're waiting for the trial. And a trial could take a long time, but (laughs) action did not stop on Friday night in Washington state because after that, the Justice Department, the Trump administration, appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Well, what they did is they appealed as defendants usually do, and they asked the appeals court to not let the ban be temporarily suspended while we wait for the underlying constitutional arguments to be adjudicated. And it could be, we could find out as early as today if the Ninth Circuit is going to rule for the government or not. In that narrow question of whether the temporary stay on the ban could be lifted while the uh, larger arguments are fought out in court. 
Yes, and we should say that there is an emergency panel within the larger group of judges who make up the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And this three-judge panel has one Jimmy Carter appointee, not apparently the youngest member of that court, and also an appointee of George W. Bush and one of President Obama's. So it's a, pretty a, it's wide, a mixed group. Pretty wide, <laughs> wide variety That's of, right. of justices. That's right. But when it comes to issues such as this, it's hard to make a partisan prediction because in general, we've, we've seen some of these other cases around the country challenging this same ban uh, come a cropper because judges have said, well, you know, the Constitution is over here and we've got a big responsibility for the president to determine immigration standards and immigration practices. And so we have a lot of different things to consider here. And some of those judges have been tilting the balance in favor of the president. So it is not a slam dunk by any means. Uh, Just because one federal judge goes one way doesn't mean every other one will. And they have different criteria. So we do know this, that the government's briefs are due by 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. And when they get the federal briefs, presumably they will move ahead tonight. We got a middle of the night ruling over the weekend. So these people are ready to rock. And we expect that by tomorrow morning or well into tomorrow day, we will have an answer from this level and be in all likelihood on our way to the Supreme Court. So no matter what happens in the next 24 hours with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, it's likely that this goes to the Supreme Court. Well, that's right. It could, under certain circumstances, go first to a full hearing by all the judges on the Ninth Circuit. That takes time, and time is obviously of the essence here. So one suspects it's going to go straight to the Supreme Court, which could rule very quickly. It has, in some cases, cases ruled very quickly on whether or not it wants to hear the case, take up the case, overturn the temporary restraining order, or decide not to. Now, as of course we all know, we currently have a four-to-four split on an eight-justice court, and that makes it a little tougher to get the five votes that you would need to set a stay on this particular uh, court order. So, And five votes are always required for those uh, Well, five votes would be a majority. And uh, we may get some early indication that the court wants to stand by the president's order, or we may get some early indication that the court feels that legitimate questions have been raised here and harm might be done in the meantime and leave the temporary restraining order in place. In other words, the Seattle judge would prevail. So that could all happen very quickly. I, I always would hate to say the court's going to act within a matter of a few days, but it could. We saw them act very quickly in some other emergency situations in the past. And and right now, at this moment, and, and basically since Friday night, people have been coming into the country who had been blocked the week before. Uh, so you had uh, refugee agencies putting people on airplanes. You had, you know, the doctors and professors and, and students who came from these seven countries, Muslim-majority countries, that had temporarily been banned from entry into the country you know, jumping on planes so that they could get to school and get to work back in the United States or, or rejoin their families in the United States. This has been you know, as chaotic as the weekend before was. This was similarly kind of wild. I mean, we've got some whiplash here. That's right. But I think we should make the point here that these are not people who are suddenly getting it in their head to come to the United States. Uh, these are people who have been in the application process, in the visa process, in the vetting process for months and months and even in some cases more than a year and more than one year. So this is the process as it was, the process as it was before the travel ban was instituted about 10 days ago. These are people who had visas. They had visas already, but these are people, yes, who have already been vetted. 
And one thing it's worth mentioning here is that some legal experts feel that the government's case is very strong with respect to the powers of the presidency, but that it is being to some degree undermined, especially in the long term with longer uh, range legal proceedings in view by these tweets yeah. from the president. And, you know, Ron, I just want to read a couple of the tweets that you're referring to here. Here's one. The president writes, What is our country coming to when a judge can halt a homeland security travel ban and anyone, even with bad intentions, can come into the U.S.? He also writes, The opinion of this so-called judge, which essentially takes law enforcement away from our country, is ridiculous and will be overturned. And then this one is... I think particularly worth noting, just cannot believe a judge would put our country in such peril. If something happens, blame him and court system, people pouring in bad. And that is that is probably going to put the president's arguments in a somewhat negative light in the eyes of these members of the federal judiciary. Which is a separate and co-equal branch of government. <laughs> and what was so interesting about these tweets is sometimes the president tweets out of peak. Sometimes he, his tweets are really important. And in this case, I would say they're pretty important because they really are about the Constitution. They're about how he sees the executive. He said, if something happens, blame him, meaning the judge in Seattle, and the court system. So he's already said it, laying out a predicate. If there's a terrorist attack in the country, the blame should go to the court system. This kind of reminds me of during the campaign when he went after Judge Curiel, who was hearing a civil suit against Trump University. Because the judge had Mexican parents, Trump said that he couldn't be fair or impartial to him. Uh, because presumably Trump had said so many incendiary things about Mexicans that the judge would be prejudiced because Imagine. he had Mexican parents. Yes. So this is pretty interesting. Ron raises an interesting point about whether this will affect the way that judges see this. Do they see a president wanting to undermine the judicial branch or not? And it also, Democrats have said, it's going to make it a little bit harder to get Judge Gorsuch, his Supreme Court nominee, confirmed because he's kind of made this into this big showdown between the executive and the judiciary. Uh, that strikes me as a bit of a bank shot. The Democrats are obviously oh, they're not going Oh, I don't think for, that they're going to uh, get him defeated because no. of this. It, it just it, gets their back up. That's, that's right. all and I'm it's, saying. It's an it argument and they need backup. some arguments. Yes, they need some arguments. But also, it's just it, the, the biggest effect it has is on these judges. They represent something absolutely integral to the American system of democracy. We have a constitutional democracy with three separate and co-equal branches, and one branch is now trying to undermine the other. Well, yes, but there are also an awful lot of people in the country who feel that federal judges have been allowed to run amok, that they have been allowed to overturn generations of uh, law, and that they've been allowed to overturn millennia of social practice with respect to gender, with respect to abortion, with respect to you know everything that matters to social conservatives. So when you attack the federal judiciary in their eyes, you may not be going too far. And of course, people on the left feel like the federal judiciary may be overstepped in blocking some of President Obama's executive actions on immigration. Yeah, Such but as this his is, 2014 right. immigration well, well, there are plenty of people who don't like certain rulings from the judiciary, which is the fine line that Vice President Pence tried to walk this weekend on television, where he says, of course, we can criticize a judge's rulings. That's really not what Donald Trump was doing. He was doing something, I think, more fundamental. I think it might play well with his base. And um, maybe this is the same thing as going after the press, you know, trying to undermine the mainstream press and have people 
think that everything the mainstream press writes is dishonest or have his base and others think that any ruling made by the judiciary that is contrary to what Donald Trump wants is something that's wrong and maybe should be ignored. It doesn't I don't, I'm not sure where he's going with this, but I think he is doing something that's pretty fundamental and not just complaining about unelected judges. You know, another area where there, it's not quite clear where the president is going is as relates to Russia. Um, over the weekend, he did his, the traditional Super Bowl interview. Uh, Trump uh, was on the O'Reilly Factor on Fox News. And the the thing that really made news from that was his answer in response to a question about whether he respected Vladimir Putin. And Trump said that he did. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. It's very He's a possible killer, I though. Won't. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? I don't know of any government leaders that are killers in America. Well, take a look at what we've done, too. We've made a lot of mistakes. I've been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. Yeah, mistakes are different then. A lot of mistakes, okay, but a lot of people were killed. So a lot of right. killers around, believe me. Let's talk about Mexico. So why, guys, did that raise so many eyebrows? It raised a lot of eyebrows because it's something he said before. In 2015, he was interviewed on Morning Joe, and the host said, he kills journalists that don't agree with him, meaning Putin. And then Trump said, well, I think our country does plenty of killing too, Joe. So this is a common theme where he makes a moral equivalence between Vladimir Putin and our own country. And that's what got the pushback from people, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Well, look, uh, Putin's a former KGB uh, agent. He's a thug. Uh, he was not elected in a way that most people would consider a credible election. Uh, the Russians annexed Crimea, invaded Ukraine and mess around in our elections. Uh, no, I don't think there's any equivalency between the way the Russians that conduct themselves and the way the United States does. But the interesting thing to me about this one, you got more pushback from Republicans on this comment than any other nice thing that Donald Trump has said about Vladimir Putin. And he has criticized many, many people, Republicans, the press, judges. He has never criticized Vladimir Putin, even when pressed. You know, I think part of it is that he's like undercutting this idea of American exceptionalism, which is what many Republicans accuse President Obama of doing when he, you know, went to other countries and and said we weren't perfect. But what's interesting about that is Donald Trump during the campaign had a very long soliloquy on American exceptionalism, and he doesn't like it. If I'm a Russian or if I'm a German or if I'm a person we do business with, why, you know, I don't think it's a very nice term. We're exceptional, you're not. First of all, Germany's eating our lunch. So they say, why are you exceptional? We're doing a lot better than you. I mean, he went on and on and on. This is a guy who doesn't like American exceptionalism. Well, he's going to have to deal with a certain amount of cognitive dissonance within his own party because this is something that has been terribly important to many Republican conservatives, conservatives and Republicans, Mike Pence, among others. And Mike Pence tried to walk this back uh, more or less before it had even aired on the talk shows on Sunday. And the White House proceeded to put out a summary of the talk shows that consisted entirely of five <laughs> or six paragraphs, all of which were quoting one person. Mike Pence, not any of the other conservatives or Republicans or senators or congressmen who might have uh, spoken up on in behalf of the president. We also have to remember here that there is a fair amount of 
sophistication within the presentation overall of this administration regarding Russia. Last week, Nikki Haley, our United Nations ambassador just appointed by President Trump, was before the United Nations and saying that we were not going to back down on sanctions on Russia until they got out of eastern Ukraine, which is the current roiling fight, and Crimea, which they went into some while ago and are quite securely ensconced in. And she's saying, you got to get out of Crimea and you've got to stop messing with eastern Ukraine before we take down the sanctions. So there was no give to the Russians uh, on the issues that are the hottest right now between our two countries. Donald Trump is isolated on this issue in his own administration. And that's really interesting. And we can talk about all sorts of other areas where that's also true. But that's for another podcast. You know, one thing that I feel like we're really missing is what the Trump administration is going to do or how they're going to do it to become confident that that the vetting system is as good as they want it to be. Right. They said they want extreme vetting. What we've heard from people who actually do the vetting is it's pretty extreme now. What else could they do to make it more extreme? And what could they do that would actually be effective. In other words, the the terrorist attacks that we've had in this country recently, none of them have been from a refugee or an immigrant from these seven countries. Uh, 9-11, Saudi Arabia, the, the places that he mentioned today in his speech today to soldiers at MacDill Air Force Base, he mentioned terrorist attacks, 9-11, Boston, Orlando, and San Bernardino. None of them were committed by refugees or immigrants from these seven countries. And one final thing, just as we're wrapping up, we get an email uh, from one of our colleagues telling us that Democrats in the Senate plan to hold the floor of the Senate overnight tonight in opposition to Betsy DeVos. She is the nominee for Secretary of Education. Her vote uh, for confirmation is scheduled for tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, and that vote could be interesting, right? Just a wonk's moment. This is not a true filibuster. I don't think they're even trying to call it that. It's just holding the floor all night in a bid for attention. It's a gesture. It's a gesture of sort of a creed de coeur from the Democrats saying, can we get one more Republican? They do have two Republicans voting against DeVos, so it's going to be a 50-50 tie tomorrow. We expect that, of course, would be broken by the vice president of the United States who is constitutionally entitled to break ties. Mike Pence will get two cast a big vote. And it's basically unheard of for a vice president to have to do that for a cabinet pick. Yes, although they 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 have had to do it for for pieces of legislation, but you know, while the Democrats cast about for a strategy that works, right now they don't have enough votes to stop any cabinet nominees. Um, they are trying to show their base, which is putting tremendous pressure on them to fight, to fight harder, to do everything they can to slow down and block Trump in every way, shape and form. So you see some of these things that uh, you'll hear Republicans call stunts. All right. That is a wrap for today. We'll be back on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. A change to the schedule. Our regular weekly roundup will not be out until Saturday morning. That's because we will record it live here in D.C. on Friday night. Uh, in the meantime, keep up with our coverage at NPR.org or the NPR One app and on your local public radio station. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.